What's going on, fishing folks? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Fisherman Journal Podcast. I am that fisherman, Daryl Bars, and this is my journal and podcast form. And we have another jam-packed, exciting episode for you today because we have two heavy hitters in the fishing industry coming at you. First off is Josh Perrymon with Titan Tungsten, and then next is FLW Tour Pro Nick LeBrun. Now, up first on the list is Josh Perrymon. Josh is the owner of Titan Tungsten, and we sit down with Josh and talk about why tungsten is so expensive, and we also go through the whole process of creating tungsten weights and why it takes so much time and effort to actually produce these things that we use every single day and probably take for granted. And then we talk about what's next in the world of tungsten and talk about some new jigs coming out in the year that you guys should be checking out. Now, after Josh, we have Nick LeBron, the FLW Pro on, who's making a big name for himself in the fishing industry. And we talk about fall fishing, of course, because it is the fall still. It's getting cool and cold and it's snowing everywhere. So people are talking about how to catch fish this time of year. And I talked to Nick about what little techniques he uses to catch fall bass. Now, in case you guys have not heard, Major League Fishing has acquired FLW in a move that will change the way we look at bass fishing, tournament bass fishing forever. Now, um, under this new merger that's going on right now, FLW will be the grassroots, the, the lead off to getting new anglers into the Bass Pro Tour and Major League Fishing. The format has not changed so so much to where FLW is going to be completely different. They are making changes to the top of level, the FLW Tour, to where it will include a lot more of the Bass Pro Tour format of catching multiple fish instead of the top five biggest fish that you have. And it's going to be a slight change, but not a huge change that will upset a lot of people as a lot of people think it, it might do. Now, I don't know exactly how I feel about the whole process right now. It is um, fresh and a lot of more information has come out, but a lot of anglers on FLW are not happy. And I heard rumors that a lot of anglers are talking about either not fishing at all with FLW and the Bass Pro Tour are going over to the elites. So I'm not sure how this will affect Bass. I don't know how this will affect the BP2 or FLW as of yet, but I'm extremely curious to figure out exactly what's going to go on, what's going to happen. And if some of these heavy hitting Bass anglers from FLW will stay with FLW or if they will indeed go over to the elites. But enough of that. Let's get into the podcast. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we'll hear from Josh Perryman with Titan Tungsten. Stay tuned. Alright, let's face it. Fishing apps are popping up everywhere, but they're here to stay. I've tried my fair share of them, and along the way, I found Angler. Angler is like a combination of all of my favorite fishing tools under one roof. Angler has taken my boat electronics, weather reports, fishing logbook, and a whole community of other like-minded fishermen and placed it all inside my smartphone, tablet, and desktop for free, giving me a powerful fishing tool to record, learn, compete, and collaborate with other serious anglers. Look, Angler is not just another fishing app. It allows me to connect optional Bluetooth devices that keep me off my phone and record all the fishing information for me. I've been fishing with the Angler Bullseye for over two months now, and I've recorded all of my catches and waypoints by just clicking the Bullseye button. It's that simple to get all the fishing information I need. I just focused on fishing, and the Angler did the rest. 
The best part is that all of the information that I did record is completely private and saved securely on my Angler account. So are you ready to give it a try? Just head over to angler.com. That's A-N-G-L-R.com. 100% free to join, 100% free to use. All right, fishing folks, first on the list is Titan Tungsten's owner, Josh Perrimon, and we're going to be discussing tungsten weights and why you should be using them and why they are so expensive. All right, fishing folks, so I had a lot of questions about tungsten weights myself, so I decided to invite an expert onto the podcast. So please welcome Josh Perrimon. He is the owner of Titan Tungsten, and he's here to tell us all about tungsten weights and why we should be using them as fishermen. So, Josh, how's it going? Man, great. Um, thanks for having me on the show. I'm, I've been looking forward to it. Uh, thanks for coming on. Now, I want to get into Titan Tungsten and what it's all about. But first, I want you to talk to me like I am, I, I'm clueless about tungsten weights. So to begin everything, uh, what is actually tungsten and how do we use it for fishing? Sure. Um, so, so first of all, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about tungsten. Um, it's, it's the strongest naturally occurring metal on earth. It's, um, you know, to, for the science guys, the, it's got a, a rating of 1500 MPA and that, that is tensile strength. So just to give you reference, um, like stainless steel is, is 800 and cast iron is 200. So it is without a doubt the, the strongest metal, uh, on earth. And it's, and it's also very, very rare. So, out of every million grams of earth that is mined, only like two and a half grams of tungsten um, is uh, is produced. So it's you know it, it's a it, it's a very rare metal and and it's very strong and it it hadn't I mean it's been around for a while. I think it was discovered like 1783. Um, and then from there, you know, it took a while to kind of figure out the, uh, the uses for it. And, um, like in the, in the mid 1850s, it was, it was used as some coloring, um, and, uh, used in some, um, like clothes processes. And then, uh, Thomas Edison, like in the late 1800s, 1890s, um, he, he started finding out about tungsten and experimenting with it and using it in some x-ray applications. Um, and then it got used on in the uh, the light bulb is probably one of the most common uses the uh, the filament. Um, and and then and lately you know in the past fifth really the past fifty years um, and and even more so in the last ten years but in the last fifty years it started expanding over into military use and in the last ten years it's um, you know the little smart windows that uh, that are tinted so yeah. it's actually used for that. So it's not only, you know, military and, and applications like fishing. Um, there, there's lots of new uses coming out for tungsten. So I, just, I, th- I thought that's pretty interesting. But but basically how it applies to fishing is how we use tungsten is we use tungsten as a replacement for lead. So you can think of all the traditional jigs, um, worm weights, flipping weights, punching weights, drop shot weights, these these types of products in the fishing industry that have been made out of lead for some, um, basically those are being produced in, uh, in tungsten. And there's several reasons for that. And we'll, we'll cover that a little later, but you know, the, the, the main reason, the main driver for this is because tungsten is eco-friendly. 
And I think we all know now, you know, how bad lead is for the environment. Um, I think it's banned in five states now. Um, in 2020, or sorry, 2022, there is going to be a federal ban on lead for all uh, federal fisheries, um, you know, now carry over into hunting as well. But um, th- that's, you know, kind of a high level of of how tungsten is used in the, in the fishing industry. It's basically a replacement for lead. Okay, so for the average angler, they go into their, you know, local tackle shop and they see these lead weights that are pretty inexpensive. And then they see these tungsten weights, which are, you know, a little bit more pricey. And they try, they're trying to, to decide, you know, which one should they buy. More than likely, if they don't know any better, they go with the lead weight. So why should people go over to the tungsten side? What's the benefits of fishing with tungsten weights? Sure. So, so there's lots of benefits. You know, again, the, the number one is eco-friendly, but uh, from a performance stand, standpoint, um, there, there's lots of other features of tungsten weights um, to, you know, to make someone make, make the switch from lead. And, and to me, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be a tournament angler. It, it applies to any fisherman. So the, the, the other huge advantage of tungsten is sensitivity. So tungsten is very, very dense, and it's 30% smaller uh, on average than than lead. So if you had a one ounce lead weight compared to a one ounce tungsten weight, the tungsten weight is going to be on average about 30, 35% smaller. Um, so that, that's a, that's an advantage there. The, the next thing is, it, it, again, it's so dense that it, it provides so much more feedback. So I, I, I live on Gunnersville here and, um, you know, I spent my last four or five years really breaking down the lake, really learning it. And on Gunnersville, you, you typically, it's a river system, so you typically are in these hard spots, you know, whether that's a, a shell bed, a little rock pile. So imagine you're out here on the ledge, and there's a big school of fish, and you know the school will relate to this hard spot area. So when you're dragging your, uh, let's say, uh, a jig or uh, a big worm, um, you're dragging it on the bottom. If you're in mud or soft, you know, you can you can tell there's no feedback there. But as soon as you come across the edge of that shell bed, that uh, that the vibrations from that will be transferred better through that weight through the line. So it allows you um, to really understand the bottom structure, what you know, what you're fishing, and when you're around, uh, you know, when you're around the hard stuff. So that's that's a big advantage, I think. You know, the eco-friendly, smaller profile, and uh, it's way more sensitive than lead. Yeah, and I have to agree with you with all of those points. Um, it is very um, sensitive. Um, I know when I take people out fishing, especially my family, and um, we're fishing, I make sure they have tungsten because they actually feel the bite a lot more. So they their hookup ratio is a lot better because they're not used to actually detecting what, what the bite what the bite is. They might not know what the bite is, but with the tungsten, they actually feel it a bit more. So they, their hookup ratio is a bit better using tungsten weights. But my biggest thing is you said tungsten was, was rare, a pretty rare uh, metal. Is that why the price is more expensive than lead? Um, yeah, yes, that, that is part of it. Um, and, and, and the other thing, you know, a lot of people, when they think about, you know, they see these weights, and especially people that have poured their own lead, you know, I can go down to local tire shop down here and I can buy their old lead from wheel weights and I can pour it down, um, you know, clean it up, you know, really good and then kind of pour my own stuff. But the number one thing, it, it's 
a real health concern. I don't think a lot of people think about, you know, the the health concerns when you're when you're dealing with those uh, fumes and everything off the lead. Um, so that's you know that's one thing that is because the tungsten is very rare. It, it's you know there's not a ton of it out there. Um, so it's the the mining process to get that small amount is uh, is fairly expensive. And the, the next thing about that, my other point on on you know you you can kind of do the lead stuff at home. Well, tungsten, it has to be, man, it, you, you can't just heat it up and melt it. The, the average Joe, you're, you're talking three, 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit um, to get tungsten to a melting point. And, that, and that's how they make tungsten carbide. Um, so that's not obtainable the, uh, you know, for, the, for the average angler. You're not going to be melting tungsten down um, and, and making stuff in your backyard. So the, it's it's first of all you know it's 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 a lot more to to go get the tungsten raw material. Then the raw material has to be broken down um, into pellets, and um, I won't go into a whole whole lot of detail because there's several ways to do it, and we do things a little differently. Um, but essentially, you you take this tungsten powder with a binding agent like a wax, and it's put through a, a really big press. And it presses out a what they call a green part. So you can think about it coming out of this big press like an aspirin. Um, it's, it can be easily broken, chipped. Um, so then that green part comes out and goes to a sintering oven. And that sintering oven typically has several types of heating sources, several types of gas. Um, and to get the hardness, um, it, it all depends on how long you keep that tungsten product in, you know, in the sintering process. So. You can imagine the long, the harder you make it, the more expensive it is because, again, we're talking just volumes of um, of heat that has to be produced. You know, you use a lot of gas, a lot of things to, to do that. So long, long story short, um, yeah, the manufacturing process is way more involved uh, for tungsten versus, uh, versus lead. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's get into the nitty-gritty because these past few years in the fishing industry – there have been a number of tungsten uh, weight companies popping up left and right. And I've used some and some are not as good as others and some don't work as better, as good as other ones. And it just, there's a, there's a quality disparity when it comes to these different brands, but Titan tungsten is different. So for the listeners out there, why should they be considering Titan tungsten? What, what are they getting when they get a quality tungsten product? Absolutely. Um, and, and, and that's true. And, and you know, there, there's there's lots of good companies out there, and there's a lot of uh, of companies that people just see the growth in tungsten, and they just want to, they think they can just jump into it and, um, and provide a good, a, a real quality product for a good price. And you really can't. It, it's, it's very competitive, and it's hard to do that. So uh, the the difference in, you know, or our, our approach to this market is. We, we have a warehouse here in Alabama, um, so we, we stock all our products here, and it's our goal to ship them out the same day, uh, logistic-wise. But, you know, the biggest thing is just quality. We, um, we don't sell junk. We, we put a ton of effort into the design, so we, we don't sell off-the-shelf off the stuff either. So that, that's why you'll notice, like, all our weights have our, our company name or logo stamped on it and the size of the weight. Um, so, you know, we're not going to a catalog and saying, Hey, I want these things, you know, like a lot of, 
uh, competitors are, are figuring out now, and and a lot of them do that. Um, so we, we go, first of all, we design our molds. Uh, we design the shapes. We test them. We have a pro team of, of pro anglers, uh, five or six pro anglers that we uh, we test and prototype and develop with. So we, we, we develop the shape and everything first, develop the molds. Then um, we have our own coating process. We call it Titan coating. So it's a permanent finish. It's not going to chip off. You can take it and run it against rocks, run it on concrete, and uh, it, it's really amazing um, and how it bonds to uh, to the tungsten. So um, not only do we put a, a ton of effort into the design and quality, um, we put that same amount into the coating, and then we also um, have a, a series of steps after the product is finished. Uh, not only our, our quality control. But for all our weights, like our worm weights, flipping weights, anything that the line passes through the weight, uh, we do a diamond honing process. That's our last step is uh, we run diamond hones through it to make sure it's absolutely 100% smooth. Um, there's no inserts in our stuff. So so you get a great shape. You get a, um, an amazing coating, and you get a very high-quality uh, price when you uh, when you deal with Titan Tungsten. Awesome. Good deal. Now – how long has Titan Tungsten been around? Um, officially, 2018. We um, nice. about 2016. I was a co-angler on the FLW tour, and I traveled with uh, Matt Airy. Um, he was my travel partner and boater. And then we we teamed up and started traveling with Scott Martin and Billy and the the Scott Martin crew guys. And um, we we were down in Okeechobee and we were flipping. And Scott called up and he said, uh, "Hey." We, we went from a two ounce to a two and a quarter ounce weight, you know, this was during practice and that made a difference. So, so, you know, we're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll make that adjustment. So I'm looking through the box and we didn't know if we had any, you know, we were thought we were flipping two ounces already, but we didn't know what two and a quarter was. So that's kind of how the idea of this started uh, back then. So it was a couple year process to, um, to figure out how to, put the sizes on the weights, you know, figure out coding. Um, I have a, a aerospace background, a coatings background. Um, so we, we, we dealt with some people here in Huntsville, Alabama that, uh, that do that kind of thing. And um, so, you know, it was a couple of years in the making and then we kind of flipped the switch really around December, 2018. And uh, man, we just hit the ground running and hadn't really looked back since. Now tungsten is, is showing up in different places now. You have tungsten flipping jigs and tungsten swim bait hooks and just this tungsten they're putting tungsten in everything. There used to be a lead anything, they're switching it out with tungsten. So have have you noticed any trends that's forming here in the fishing industry or anything that the tungsten um industry would align themselves with in fishing that hasn't happened yet? Well, um you know, a lot of companies are playing catch up, um, trying to develop new products. You know, you, what you're seeing is you're seeing basically anything that has been offered in lead um, is starting to be offered in tungsten. So, you know, your net heads, your shaky head, of course, jigs, um, and, and all your weight tops. So we're, we're kind of seeing that, uh, we're, you know, and, and that's that's what we're doing here as well. We uh, we, we have a, um, a team of CAD designers, and we, we 3D print our stuff. Um, so... That's what I was working on this morning before you called. We're actually uh, we're working on a concept for a, a new hook design and a jig design. And uh, so we have them 3D model first. So I have this big monitor. I can spin it around, look at it, make changes. 
Then we 3D print it and make it larger so I can get it in my hands, you know, look at it from different angles. Then once we're happy with that, we go to design with the mold process and develop our prototype and go from there. So um, pretty soon you'll, you'll basically see everything that you've ever used in lead will be, um, will be you know, transitioned over in a, in a tungsten, offer, uh, tungsten offering. So what you're telling me right now is that in the near future, we'll be having some more Titan tungsten products coming out. Without a doubt. Matt, Matt Airy, um, he, he's designed a whole series of jigs that are just going to be amazing. So we, we, we basically, um, proud to announce that we, we've struck up a deal with Gamagatsu. So we're going to use only their hooks, uh, in our products. So we work with them. We got our own hook, the exact hook that he wanted. Um, it's wire tied. Um, we, we've spent, man, I bet I've had, this is what I love about Matt. He's so particular. He knows he wants to, you know, he knows exactly what he wants. So we've went back six times revisions just on the, uh, the keep perfecting the keeper and the transition from the keeper to the back of the head. <laughs> it's, 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 it's been a little bit of a process, but it's, it's, man, we've, we've turned, we've turned out an amazing product. So lots of good stuff like that, uh, coming down the pipeline, probably a new product every month for the next six or eight months. Oh, good deal. Good deal. So the first product should be coming out here shortly. Absolutely. We're, um, we're probably going to team up with wired to fish and do a, um, a big announcement and release around Christmas time or just before Christmas t- time for, uh, for Matt's jig. So, um, I got a call on that today and uh, we're going to finalize the details. So a little sneak peek on that. We're, uh, we're going to be putting a lot of effort into, uh, the launch of his, his line of jigs for sure. Good deal. Well, I can't wait for that at all. But I do appreciate you coming on the podcast today and telling us about tungsten weights. I want to have you back on the podcast because if I have more questions, and I'm sure I will have more questions, I want you to be the guy I come to talk to. That'd be great, man. You know, I, I think a lot about what you guys are doing over there. You have great content, great articles, and, you know, you provide a lot of value. So, um, on the show, thanks again for, uh, you know, for, for, uh, for having us and look forward to, uh, to work with you guys again. I appreciate the kind words, but before you go, tell all the listeners exactly where they can learn more about Titan Tungsten. Sure. So you can you can check out our website, um, www.titan-tungsten.com, um, and you can also find us on uh, Facebook, Titan Tungsten, and uh, Instagram as well. I appreciate it, Josh. Well, you have a nice day, and we'll be in touch pretty soon. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. All right, Josh, thanks again for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. And fishing folks, coming up after this quick commercial break, we have Nick LeBrun, FLW Pro, and we're going to be talking about fall fishing. Did that fish commit or did it take a lazy swipe in my lure? Should I speed up my retrieval or slow it down? When you can't see what the bass are doing, these are just a few of the questions you ask yourself, but not anymore. The GoFish cam ties on between your main line and lure, giving you a fisheye view of what's going on, allowing you to see what the bass are doing and make the necessary adjustments. It's your underwater eyes and your new fish finder. It's the GoFish cam. Check them out at gofishcam.com OTH and use promo code OTH to save 15% off your order. All right, fishing folks. Next up, we have FLW Pro Nick Lebron as we talk about fall fishing. All right, so Nick, uh, once before we even get started, let me say thank you for coming on the podcast, taking some time out to share your wealth of knowledge with our listeners. Man, thank you all for having me, dude. Always happy to help. First of all, the first thing I want to talk about is 
this tournament season. You, you're making a pretty good name for yourself here in a short few years, you know, fishing these tournaments. So in your opinion, was this year a successful year for you or do you still have aspirations to get better and do better? Man, thank you very much for saying that. And uh, just to God be the glory, it, it was a successful year. Um, I really didn't go into my rookie year on tour with any real expectations other than I, my one goal is I wanted to try to make the cup. And so I finished 31st in points overall and uh, got that accomplished. Uh, it was a year of ups and downs. It seemed like I would do really good in a tournament or, or be in a 100th place. But uh, – you know, just like life, you know, we just got to get back up and uh, and figure things out and and uh, get back on the horse, so to speak. But I was real happy with the way my first year went and uh, super excited about uh, fishing next year as well. Now, do you have any memorable moments of the tour this year? Something that stands out that, uh, you know, gets you excited and happy that it happened? Yeah, it, you know, the first thing that pops in my head is just... uh you know, our first event on Rayburn this year, um, you know, I had several little schools of pre-spawners located. And um, it's just very special when you can catch them every cast, you know, throwing the big laboon spinnerbait. And uh, it's fun knowing that you're fixing to catch one when your bait hits the water. Um, it's not too often that you get to experience that. And certainly not when you catch 90 pounds in four days doing that. So that will be a memory um, that I have with me until I leave this earth because that was just a pretty awesome uh, event. And moving forward, um, our first event in 2020 is on Sam Rayburn, too. So that's a momentum builder in itself. So looking back in the past, did you ever say from an early age that I want to be a professional angler or is it something that just fell into your lap or you know, how did that come to be? It was a lifelong goal. So I fished my first uh, bass tournament when I was 15 years old with my dad. It was this company tournament for KCS Railroad, and we won it. And I thought that was super cool, and I was hooked ever since. Like, I quit hunting, uh, just totally focused on fishing. And and I knew that I wanted to be a professional angler someday, and until that day comes, I'll just work regular jobs and just trying to keep grinding it out and working my way up. And, um, you know, it took a decade to do that. But, um, you know, I would say I launched my professional career when I was 34. And before that, I was fishing, you know, BFLs and Costas and a Bassmaster Open here and there. And, but um, it's something that I've had my sights set on a long time. And this is one thing I asked. Uh, I had Jordan Lee on the podcast a couple of days ago, and I asked him, based on how his career is going, you know, if he ever thought about getting into the Hall of Fame, the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. Is that something that has crossed your mind, or is it something that you just you never think about? Yeah, I haven't really thought about that. Um, that would be an, an extreme honor, you know, and a, and a blessing, but... Um, you know, I think in our world, you just got to focus on putting your next five fish on the scales one day at a time. And um, if you keep doing that and, you know, keep giving the good Lord all the glory, good things are going to happen. You know, will you make the Hall of Fame? Maybe or maybe not. But um, I think if you just keep focused on, on your current, you know, three-foot view and just kind of what's 
how are you going to catch your next five fish? I mean, you just kind of take it one day at a time. Um, to me, I think it's easier to think about those kind of goals than to say, all right, well, um, I want to make it into the, the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame or I want to win the Forest Wood Cup or the Bassmaster Classic or whatever it may be. I think you you have a, you have to set your sights on pretty serious short-term goals that are part of the, the long-term goal. Makes sense. Definitely. It makes a lot of sense. So right now we're digging heavy into the fall transition here on the Fisherman's Journal, and we're asking the anglers what they're doing to you know, catch more fish during this transition, where they're finding fish, what lures they're using. So my question to you for this podcast is, when it comes to catching fish during the fall transition, what kind of lures are you looking to throw to help maximize your opportunity to put fish in the boat? Yeah, so when I think of fall fishing, I immediately think of shad. And, you know, what's my shad imitators? I, the first thing I think of is crankbaits. Um, so anytime the shad get kind of moving around and moving back show or um, back towards the back of the creeks or pockets, you know, crankbaits are a great way to target those fish because it's, you're just kind of matching a hatch and also you're matching what the, the hatch is doing. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, chad are on the move, so you want to throw a bait that's kind of on the move too. And, you know, I think of a, a Bill Lewis MR6, uh, that's just a little, uh, kind of a little coffin lip medium diver that Bill Lewis has designed with Mark Daniels. That's just a great shad imitator, you know, and that's a versatile bait all over the country. Um, if you were in an area that, um, maybe had a little bit more vegetation and something you kind of wanted to rip and get to react, you, you know, you might go to a, a half or a quarter ounce trap, you know, uh, I try to keep things simple, you know, uh, chrome blue, uh, Bill Lewis trap, uh, maybe a, a Tennessee shad, MR6. Uh, some guys will kind of throw the colors that are, you know, maybe a blue and chartreuse and, um, some of your kind of more in your face colors is what I would call it. But, um, you know, I think if you, uh, if you're matching the right size and, you know, and if you're around the fish, I, I really think the fish aren't as picky as fishermen are. So in your color selection, I mean, any kind of the shad colors, um, would be great with that. Um, but with the trap, you know, I would, I would probably focus on the trap if, um, it was an area where, you know, maybe I couldn't retrieve the MR6 on a long cast without it getting tangled in hydrilla. So if I wanted something to run up higher in the water column, you know, that would be where I might would switch to that, that half or quarter ounce trap. And really, the size of the trap is going to depend on how big my shad are. So if I'm on a lake like, you know, Catalake or Gunnersville or Lake of the Ozarks where, you know, they're, they're gorging on big gizzards, you know, I'm probably going to go with a bigger profile, but let's say I'm on, um, somewhere tougher, you know, in the shatter, the size of your thumbnail, you know, downsizing will probably help you get a few more bites at the end of the day. Let's, I, I hate you to do this, but I want to pivot one second because you mentioned color and color is something that is, 
debated quite often. You know, fishermen say, you know, match the hatch, match the hatch, match the hatch. And you have these swim baits that look ultra realistic, but just like the lures that are just like the bait fish that swim in the water. Then you have these off the wall colors with the chartreuses and the reds and the blues and the greens. It looks nothing like a natural bait fish profile or, or a color choice. So when is a time where you actually pick up a lure that has these off, off the wall color combinations and fish it? What would make you say, I'm going to choose that lure over a natural looking bait fish color? Fishing pressure. So, there's been a couple of events in my career where we're on small bodies of water and it's they're you know, you're sharing water with a lot of other competitors and I really just want to throw a bait that I feel like they haven't seen in a while or ever. And so I may take, you know, one of my favorite crankbaits, you know, like the MR six or like a trap and and uh if it if it's tough to get bites you know, sometimes throwing some off the wall color, um, or for example, um, you know, when you think of a blood crawl or any kind of a red pattern, Abram red crawl, we think of January, February, March, right? Well, if you take that and throw it in the middle of September or August, that's probably something that guys haven't done because you know we as fishermen get programmed to oh we only throw a red bait early in the year well i mean the magazines and the articles may tell us that but at the end of the day you know there's been a few events where i've gotten kind of outside the box and and outside the my own mindset of of what we know as uh bass fishermen and you know sometimes just changing those seasonal colors can make a big difference um you know i've seen events where that's been a player but at the end of the day when i'm kind of throwing colors that i might not be throwing you know nine times out of ten it's usually because of fishing pressure like i'm just kind of wanting to do something a little different and maybe show them a bait that they haven't seen lately gotcha gotcha all right so I'm glad you, I just wanted to get your opinion on that matter because, you know, it's something that people debate all the time. And, you know, some people say don't match the hash so you can stand out. Some people say do match the hash so you won't stand out. You know, it's just a, it's a common debate here in the fishing industry. But back to the topic at hand, fall fishing, some lures are going to be using. You mentioned the MR6 and the rattle trap. So what about some soft plastics ideas? What, what, what are you using soft plastic wise? So, if I do have a, a, a scenario where, you know, there's some big gizzards or um, if you're up north, I think they call it an alewife, um, you know, where the shad is three or four inches long. Another key thing I like to throw is a producer swim bait. Um, they have those in a few different sizes, and uh, the four and a half inch is, is the most versatile, in my opinion. Um, even though at our event on Champlain, I did really well throwing the three and a half, but producer swim bait is just a little small, um, mom and pop company in Georgia, but they know their swim baits. And, um, anytime that those big gizzards are a player, I'll just take, you know, a, a belly weighted, uh, swim bait hook by Hayabusa, something like a seven alt, maybe with a quarter ounce belly weight. And, uh, it has a corkscrew in the hook. And I'll just rig that producer swim bait on that. And, um, and I can fish that, you know, really, really shallow or I can, you know, ride it really slow and kind of tick the grass and, 
uh, 10 foot if I wanted to. Um, so that producer swim bay is just a, a really awesome hollow body um, imitator. Now, if I'm on a lake that has a lot of matted vegetation during the summer, those shad will use those vegetation lines to kind of maneuver and get to where they need to go for the fall. And so before those mats really thin out, you know, I like taking a soft plastic and punching in the mats for some fall action. Um, and, you know, anytime I'm punching, I just think of a big tungsten weight. You know, I use elite tungsten, usually one ounce, an ounce and a half, depending on the thickness. And I'm pairing that with usually a V&M flat wild or, um, you know, just a compact bait like that. And to me, like, especially like on a lake like Toledo Bend, uh, we don't have any grass down there right now to speak of because we've had high water for a year. Um, and it just now came back down. But uh, there's been some events, you know, just some regional style events where I had really good luck um, just committing flipping mats, you know, in September and October. And uh, it may be a deal where you, you're only get seven bites a day, but if you get them in the boat, you're going to have a sack. And so, uh, you know, that VM flat wild and paired with elite tungsten weight, uh, Hayabusa FPP straight hook, um, that's just a fun way to catch. It may not be like you're catching 30 fish a day like you would on the, the MR6 or the trap, but um, that's like, you know, kind of head hunting. You know, that can be a way to go out and catch 25 pounds with seven bites. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of your viewers are pretty advanced, but uh, or a lot of your listeners are pretty advanced, but um, anytime you're around that thick vegetation, and uh, especially if you can get away with it, go with braid. Um, there's only been a couple of times in my career where I had to go to Floro to get bit, but 95% of the time, you know, I'm throwing Sunline X-Flash on braid, 60 pound, and, um, you know, Sometimes I'd rather just not get that bite than not be able to get it in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting that you said that because uh, a lot of people will say go to fluorocarbon uh, when the bite's tough or you know when you think you might be spooking a fish. But you, you, you're recommending braid majority of the time. Is that correct? That's right, and um, and that's a matter of personal opinion. Um, you may talk to a guy that has had many, many more years and more success than me, and he may tell you the complete opposite, but um, as fishermen, you know, sometimes we just got to go with what we know and, and live by it. And for me, there's only been a, a handful of times in my life where I can look back and say, oh, I'm glad I went to Florida because I probably wouldn't have got those bites. And normally that has to do with, you know, a heavy pressured area where the fish are really getting pounded and spooky. And, um, but, you know, Going back to the Sunline X Plasma Braid, um, it's really quiet. It's really quiet in the mat. It's really quiet coming through your, your guides on your rod. And so, uh, it has advantages of braid, but not all the disadvantages, I believe. You know, what I've been doing, I wrote an article about it probably about a year and a half, two years ago, when the FG knot became very popular and started getting out there. You know, I practiced that knot and I started tying that knot. And what I learned is that, you know, I started putting braid on all of my reels. You know, I rarely use mono, rarely. 
And um, right what I, did, I put bread on all my lines. And if I need fluorocarbon, I just tie a fluorocarbon leader to my breaded line. And that way, you know, I can have the best of both worlds. But I keep braid on, I would probably say, 95% of the rods that I own. Ooh, I like it. You could move to Louisiana and fit right in with that. You know, I'm a Florida guy, and I grew up fishing <laughs> the salt water. That's what we did. We had braid, fluorocarbon leader. We had to catch the Pelagius and the saltwater fish, and that's what we did growing up. So I kind of took that whole mentality, and now I'm fishing for bass more more than more than not, and I'm using that same kind of mindset to you know help me catch more fish. Yeah, I mean, there's very very few disadvantages to braid, in my opinion. Um, now, if I'm taking a you know, a deep diving crankbait and and trying to get it down to 20 foot, then obviously I'm probably going to have some, you know, 12 or 14 pound sunlight cranking fluorocarbon on that. But, um, but yeah, if, if you, if you believe in that FG nod and you're comfortable and believe in that and have faith in it, rock on. Definitely. I wouldn't say I have so that much confidence in it. You know, I'm not a really good knot tire, but I'm, I'm learning. I'm getting better at it. But what knot do you use if you're typically tying, say, a braid to a leader line or, or whatever kind of knot you might want to do? Just this line-to-line tying. What what kind of knot do you use for that? I'm using a blood knot, and it just kind of gives you a little bit more details on that. Um, the only time I'm tying a leader is on spin rods. You know, I'm throwing um, 16-pound SX1, and I'm using let's just say 10 pound SC sniper for a leader. And, um, so it's always smaller, you know, diameter spinning rod stuff. But, um, the reason I tie the blood knot is because that's what I know how to tie and I can tie quickly. Cause, um, you know, let's say you're up north and you're in the waves and you need to retie your leader and, um, you know, just conditions are crazy. The last thing you want to do is be sitting down there on your deck, um, trying to tie a knot for 15 minutes. You know, I hate that. So, um, is the blood knot strong? Absolutely. Is it the best, most durable knot? I don't know that. I mean, I guess it depends on who you ask, but, um, um, but I do know that I've heard a lot of good things about the FG knot, but, uh, the first time I tried that knot, I'm like, man, I just kind of got intimidated by it because it's a lot of steps and a lot of, you got to get this just right and that just right. And, and I was already comfortable with the bud. So I kind of just stuck to what I know. And that's the reason I chose the blood knot. Gotcha. Good deal. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, but I have one more question for you before you go. Uh, you mentioned sure. not too long ago that, you know, when you throw certain lures, you know, you might get only seven bites for the day, but, it was just the right seven bites, you know, to get you that 25-pound bag. Um, if you're out there fun fishing, do you want to catch that, you know, those seven big bass? Do you want to go out and, and fish a lure or, or a set of lures that will get you more fish in the boat? What's your preference? I like fishing for big ones. Uh, you know, that's just a, a personal thing of mine. You know, I would rather go and catch a five and a four than to catch, you know, 15 two-pounders um and that goes back to just studying the sport and studying the fish i just think you learn so much more when you catch a five-pounder you know you do catching a lot of little fish and uh you know i know parts of our industry are kind of going the other way with that and that's okay you know my hats are off to them for trying to 
you know, stir things up and create a new buzz with the fishing industry and, and get some different people watching us. But um, um, at the end of the day, if if you had given me a choice, you know, I'm going to fish for those five big ones or or those few big ones, especially if I'm fun fishing. And um, sometimes that can be a hindrance when it comes to fishing the tour because, uh, you know, there are points involved and um, you can't get too caught up in your own mindset and leave five fish on the table somewhere that, that costs you some valuable points because you were out there swinging the big bat. Um, that's exactly what I did in the cup this past uh, August. So I, I kind of had an all or nothing. I went, I went all in. I swung the big bat, and uh, it worked out great on day one, and it didn't work out on day two. You know, that's just the way it is. But a tournament like that, I think you have to fish to win, and, and you have to kind of have that mindset, and uh, you just kind of kind of leave it all out there. Um, for a, a young, uh, not that I'm young, but a for a rookie on tour that doesn't have a lot of experience and hasn't really uh, taken off yet, I think, you know, knowing when to flip that switch to, hey, you know, I, I need to get some points and I, I need to, to weigh in five fish as much as I can, but finding the right balance to try to target some size in there and, you know, make some cuts and make some top tens. And so it, it's a balance. Um, but if me and you are going fishing, you know, I'm going to be throwing a big giant swim bait and punching grass with an ounce and a half weight. Good deal. Good deal. Well, Nick, I do appreciate you. Thanks for coming on and taking some time out for the podcast. I want to have you back on in the near future. I want to do a podcast with you and we can talk about big swim baits and, you know, the intricacies and the ins and outs of what you do to catch fish on those big old baits. Cool, man. Yeah. I appreciate y'all having me on. Just call me anytime. That right, sounds good, Nick. I do appreciate it. Thank you. There you have it, fishing folks. Another great podcast episode in the books. Thanks again to Josh and Nick for coming on and spreading the knowledge with us. Now, stay tuned to the Fisherman's Journal for more information on this whole BP Tour Major League Fishing FLW merger collection of thoughts and processes and what's going to happen when everything hits the fan come 2020. Um, and if you can, please follow the Fisherman's Journal on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube for all of our content that we're putting out for you guys. And hopefully we can give some more knowledge and information about bass fishing to our lovely listeners and viewers. But until next time, guys, tight lines and big fish. Oh,